is to really, really research your market, um, you know, and your craft. Because a lot of times I think we fail, we see someone, we see someone that is successful and we want that success, but we don't do our due diligence to, you know, research, like, you know, am I, can I really do this? And one of the things I love, I love to ask people is like, would you do it if you had to do it for free? Because a lot of times people don't realize when you're an entrepreneur, the money does not immediately come. And then it's feast or fam- famine a lot of times. Sometimes, you know, you're really, really making money and sometimes you're not. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, the serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com or always here to help. Now, today we have another great guest on the podcast, Mavis Payne. And uh, Mavis uh, went uh, or had uh, received a full ride uh, scholarship to, I think, Ohio State University to do nursing, but decided not to go, had interest in nursing, but not necessarily for a career. Um, and then uh, went down the route of uh, got married, had kids, worked for corporate America as a, I think, administrative assistant for Deloitte for a period of time, loved her job, and then also started doing a bit of uh, selling cosmetics or doing, uh, I think it's matte cosmetics, if I remember right, uh, full time. And then her husband noticed that uh, she didn't necessarily love her job as a administrative assistant, but she loved doing the cosmetics and uh, doing that type of uh, work. And so I uh, decided to go and get a bit of training there after doing a vocational school for a period of time, um, got into doing makeup and, is, uh, and cosmetics and is now doing that for celebrities and stars and everything else and doing that as a, a full-time gig. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Mavis. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So I just gave the quick 30 second or one minute run through of your journey, uh, but maybe take us a bit bit back in time to when you had originally thought about going into nursing and uh, going to Ohio State and kind of how your journey started there. You know, I've always had a love for fashion. It started when I was in high school, when I was um, asked by a former model to, uh, you know, walk in this high school talent show. I'm I'm sorry, fashion show. And, um, you know, I was bitten by the fashion bug after that. And then so I started to pay attention to pretty much all things fashion. However, I didn't immediately delve into it. It came um, many many years later when I would commute on the train to Washington DC to work and I would receive so many compliments from ladies on the train about my makeup (laughs) and uh, you know after about four years I decided to research schools and I found one in Annapolis Maryland and here we are really quick just because we jumped over like the whole journey and got to the fun (laughs) part at the end but before we dive into that so you were originally, because you said you had a diving back to the beginning, a bit of the beginning of your journey, you had a full ride at one point to Ohio State to do nursing. What made, you know, and that's a pretty good, you know, full ride is always a great accomplishment and a good opportunity. What made you decide to not go into that or to go a different direction or different gear? Well, um, 
Right before I was supposed to start classes at Ohio State University School of Nursing, I discovered that I was pregnant. So it had absolutely nothing to do with me going into makeup. And I just decided I wanted to be, you know, um, devote my attention to my daughter. Um, And what I discovered, because prior to that, let me back up a little bit. So I attended vocational school in high school because I had enough credits. And so I could attend for an entire year. So that is what I did. And from that, I received the full scholarship. But I received my training in um, a geriatric center, a nursing home. So as an 18-year-old, it wasn't as fun as I thought it would be. So I would say that it was was an easy decision to just concentrate on being a mother. Um, So that's basically what happened with that. It wasn't that I decided, oh, no, I'm going to do cosmetics. So the cosmetics kind of came after afterthought, although I would already had a love for fashion, if that makes sense. No, that definitely makes sense. And so I definitely get, hey, I want to stay or sit home want to or take care of the kids, want to make sure they have the, the parent there that when they get home from school, the mom's there to say hi and help them with homework and everything else. And that's what my wife does as well. So definitely uh, think, or think that's a, a great uh, path to take. So now you, at one point, I think before you got into cosmetics, and I can't remember exactly when, after you were married, had kids, you did uh, administrative assistance for Deloitte for a period of time. That's correct. Um, And that is actually um, the commute that I was mentioning. So when I would go to work in the mornings and I loved my job at Deloitte. Oh, my gosh. I worked for or with the energy group there. And I absolutely loved it until I started to work part time for Mac Cosmetics. So a couple of days a week, I would, you know, leave my full time job at Deloitte and then uh, commute to Mac for, um, you know, May, I think I was like four hours and my husband noticed that, oh my gosh, like on the days when you have to report to Deloitte, I'm sorry, to Mac, you have all of this energy and, you know, and then on the days where I was not going to Mac, it was becoming just like draining to go to work. And he noticed that. Mm. So now, so you have that kind of, so, you know, one in sense, love the job and then you're going to part-time and you're saying, okay, Husband notices, and sometimes it's interesting. You know, we don't necessarily notice ourselves, but those around us say, "Hey, you really have an act for this, or if you thought about this, this would be a lot more fun, and you'd probably be rewarding." Um, but you know, so your husband notices, say, oh, you know, you've been doing that part time, your passion's really there. You know, was it as simple as that? You had that conversation, and you decided to, you know, go or go into Matt or Matt Cosmetics full time, or was it kind of a slow transition? You continued to build up the side hustle as you wound down that. Or kind of how did you transition from doing the or job at Deloitte to doing uh, the, the cosmetic industry? Oh, the story would be so more much more exciting if I immediately grabbed that, <laughs> but I did not. <laughs> it took a while because, as mentioned before, I had a very nice, uh, you know, salary with Deloitte, great benefits, and so I kept hearing him, but not hearing him because in my mind, I'm like, it's sales, you know, and, you know, I've always thought, you know, if you don't really sell, you're not going to do that. Great. So I wasn't into it. Um, And here's the thing though, my boss at Deloitte noticed that she goes, I think you could really, really go into sales. You know, um, and I just kept all of that. And our friends would tell us, you know, it would tell me to, 
do it full time. And I never really wanted to do it full time. But what I did do after about a year of him telling me that, um, you know, I decided that I was just going to quit my my job at Deloitte. And that's what I did. I gave my resignation. I trained my replacement. But I continued to work um, at Matt Cosmetics part time because I really didn't want to do it full time. Um, and what happened is I was discovered by a television producer. She came into Mac. She needed some help. I helped her. And, you know, I, I talk about this in my book where she had this this face. They talk about it when we when they're training us about, you know, the takeaway. And she had this face that she was not interested in anything that I was saying. However, at the end of our uh, conversation, she trusted me and she purchased everything that I recommended. And then she asked if I had a card, I gave her my card. And then she told me who she was. She said, I'm a producer and I'm going to go back and I'm going to tell the person that hires makeup artists about you. So that's how I started doing television makeup. Cool. That's a, a great opportunity and one that's probably not necessarily anticipated. So, you know, so how long was it? So she, you know, you, you convince her that you're skilled, that you'll do a good job, that and she likes your work and she's going to recommend you. Now, how long a period of time was it from her kind of going back, telling the person that hires and makeup till the time that you actually got hired on or started doing that? Um, it was immediate, which was really, you know, in my career, I found that that was a rarity uh, that people remember. Um, so it was immediate. She went back and she did tell the person um, and the person actually had their own makeup um, agency, makeup artist agency. So that person re reached out to me just at, um, you know, by someone else referring me. She had never met me. She called and probably within maybe about four or five months, I was, she sent me out on my first gig, which happened to be, um, <laughs> which happened to be uh, television. It was for AOL at the time. And that was my very first time doing television makeup. And, you know, I'm grateful that it turned out okay because it's completely different from retail. But yeah, it was immediate. Uh, what was not immediate was my rise, um, you know, to becoming that go-to person that took a couple, a couple of years to get my name out there. And then once people, you know, start to see my name over and over, then my career kind of took off from there. So you started out and it sounds like it, and maybe, you know, hopefully not putting too many words in your mouth, but you started out, you kind of got the opportunity, started out slow or small or that and did a few jobs and, and people liked it and you kind of built up a bit of a reputation. Was it kind of a word of mouth that, hey, you do a good job, would they like what you do and you kind of built up a clientele, is that how it, how it kind of evolved? It, it pretty is uh, word of mouth. You know, I did have business cards because as soon as I completed makeup artistry school, I made sure I had my business cards. But I shudder to think like when uh, when I look back on those business cards, they were hideous, guys. Oh, my God. It was like this really bright blue eyeshadow. However, you know, I made sure I gave them out to everybody at MAC Cosmetics. I would give them I would give my customers my MAC Cosmetics business card as well as my personal business card. But as you know, in the entertainment industry, um, it's pretty much word of mouth. You know, someone referred you, you know, you'll hear someone saying, I need a makeup artist. Oh, I know a makeup artist. So that's basically how it happens. And then people started to refer me to their friends, refer me to people who have, uh, you know, who are looking for a makeup artist and that it just kind of snowballed from there. 
No, and that's, that, and that's a good snowball effect and uh, definitely is a, a fun and exciting one. So now, how long have you been uh, working with the celebrities? And if you can name drop, and I, if not, then I definitely understand. But are there any celebrities that people would recognize or that would be uh, worthwhile to name drop or that would be fun to hear about? Oh, um, so I have been working with celebrities probably about, um, I've been in my career for a little bit over 15 years. So I've been working with celebrities, probably about 13 of those. Um, my most memorable celebrity that I worked with is the late Dr. Maya Angelou. Um, I've worked with Piers Morgan, whom I absolutely love. Mo Rocca, who wrote the foreword for my book. Uh, oh my gosh, T.I. and Tatiana Ali and Jennifer Holiday and Star Jones. Oh, gosh. Sounds like a, quite a fun assortment of people to work with. And that's what I was going to kind of mention right after is I think that part of what you've done is you've, you know, worked with a lot of fun celebrities, have a lot of cool experiences, and you've taken that and you've also, um, you know, put that into kind of a book format where you're able to share that. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So the book, this is, oh my gosh, it was the first, uh, this is my first book. It was um, kind of birthed out of 2020 because, you know, I work in New York City and New York City was closed. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot of production and film, you know, film and television um, stuff going on. And my husband had been telling me for years because, because I would come home and I would tell him these interesting stories about being on set or working with certain celebrities and he would say you should write a book and I never really entertained it until 2020 so I started in May of 2020 I finished in January of 2021 but um, the difficult part about writing is because of my work with celebrities I have to get releases right so if I'm go going to mention them uh, so that was the most difficult part what I found so once I committed to writing, it just flowed. You know, I could sit down and I could write and then things would come to my memory that I had long since forgotten. Um, and I had no idea that it was going to be the success that it is. Um, it released on Amazon April 20th and within 36 hours, I had made bestseller. Okay. So it's doing pretty good. <laughs> that's awesome and apparently uh, plenty of people want to hear about all your experiences and uh, what it is to be the makeup artist to the stars so to speak so now so that kind of brings us a bit to where you're at today and you know kind of brings us to the present as far as your journey but now you're kind of looking towards you know the next six to 12 months is a goal to you know promote and uh, do the book is it to um you know go out and and continue to do makeup is it a combination of both or kind of where do you see life and the and the journey headed in the next six to 12 months well i think they kind of go hand in hand that's um you know just like my cosmetic line basically it sells itself because i'm actually using using my products on the clients and the same as the book you know um it comes up in conversation uh, you know, because most of the people that I work with, they're also interested in me and they're saying, so what have you been up to? And so obviously I'm going to say, hey, you know, I wrote this book um, and 
the opportunities are coming. I was just reading um, a couple of emails prior to this podcast and my publicist, I hired a, pu a publicist. And so she has some things lined up for me, some appearances, writing some articles. So I had no I idea that the book would lead to those type of opportunities. But, you know, the sky's the limit. Wherever it takes me, I'm going to go with it. Well, that sounds like it's a, a fun and exciting uh, future. So definitely uh, one that I'm excited to see how uh, everything goes for you. Well, now as we as we start to wrap towards the end of the podcast, we always have the two questions that I love to ask. And so we'll jump to those now. And just as a reminder to the, the audience and the listeners, I'm also going to talk or do the bonus question where we talk a little bit about intellectual property. So if you have, have an interest there, definitely stay tuned. Um, but before we jump to the bonus question on the, the normal two questions, First question I always ask is, what was the uh, work along your journey? What was the worst business decision you ever made? And what did you learn from it? The worst business decision I ever made was to believe that honesty is everyone's policy. Uh, and so what I've learned from it is that get everything in writing and make sure you understand what you're reading, not just sign on the dotted line. Um, in my book, I talk about some of my early years where I was just so excited to be working on a particular project that I didn't really necessarily read everything that I needed to read or ensure that what I understood was exactly what I was going to get. Um, so that would be my advice to people, <laughs> uh, you know, make sure that you are reading it. And then if you don't understand it, you know, have a relationship with someone that is either, you know, in, art in entertainment law, you know, or, you know, invest in the money that you need to hire someone so that you don't get yourself in a jam. No, and I think that that, you know, while it's a, a mistake that, you know, it, it sometimes can hurt, but it's, it's definitely one where I think it's certainly understandable in the sense that a lot of times you come down and say, oh, I think people, you know, first of all, I always think people can read better or I always think that they can read people better than they are. I'm like, oh, I'm great at reading people. I think every, I've never met a person that says, oh, I'm horrible at reading people. But I even think beyond that is, you know, a lot of times you think, you know, at least for me, when I do a lot of businesses, I started out and thinking, oh, everybody will work as hard. They'll do as good a job. They'll be as, or as devoted. They'll be as involved. And then you get into the reality like, hey, that's not always the case. You know, sometimes people don't work as hard. They don't do as good a job. And, you know, it kind of creates that. And so I think that, you know, figuring out who to trust, how to trust, how to build that relationship of trust and kind of what responsibilities or what things to turn over is definitely an easy mistake that a lot of uh, entrepreneurs make, but also is one that certainly to learn from. So absolutely. Now, now with that, jumping to the second question, which is, if you're talking to someone that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what'd be the one piece of advice you'd give them? Oh, that was a hard one. Oh my gosh. I had a couple things, but what I would say uh, would be the number one piece of advice is to really, really research your market, um, you know, and your craft, because a lot of times I think we fail, we see someone, we see someone that is successful and we want that success, but we don't do our due diligence to, you know, research, like, you know, 
am I, can I really do this? And one of the things I love, I love to ask people is like, would you do it if you had to do it for free? Because a lot of times people don't realize when you're an entrepreneur, the money does not immediately come. And then it's feast or famine a lot of times. Sometimes, you know, you're really, really making money and sometimes you're not. And so that's kind of a dual answer to the question, but definitely do the research that's necessary. Do the footwork. You know, a lot of times people will reach out to me and ask me, you know, if they could uh, assist me. And I always ask the question like, you know, why do you want to assist me? You know what I mean? Because I really want people to understand the business of makeup, the business of being a makeup artistry. It's not just about working with celebrities. You know, you really have to know your market. You really have to do everything that's necessary. So to be a success, because everyone, you know, that starts a business is not successful. So definitely do the research. You mean every, when you start your own business, you're not just a millionaire overnight? It's not like Absolutely. it is in the movies? And people really believe that. People really do believe that. It's, nope, it's not It's not that easy. No, and I definitely agree with you. And I think that, you know, you get a bit of a misconception. You read the books, you watch the shows or the movies and based on a true story. And I think, you know, a lot of those people, you know, do do a great job and they have a successful business, but it's always, you know, a 10 year or an you know, overnight success, 10 years in the making. And it always takes a lot longer. You never hear the backstory. You never see what it took to get to where they're at today or how, you know, all the different paths and different things they weave through in order to build their build a success. And so everybody kind of gets a misconception that, oh, if I have a great idea, I'll just start a business and I'll be rich in the, you know, matter of a week or two. And it's never, never the case for that, no matter which business it is. So I think that's a great lesson to learn. It's never, and no one ever tells you about all of the money that you have to put out <laughs> in order to, you know, garner money. You have to, you know, spend money to make money. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely agree. So well, before we dive to the bonus question, as a reminder, we'll get that to get to that in a minute. But uh, as we wrap up the normal portion of the podcast, if people want to uh, find out more about you, they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they're a celebrity, they want you to do their uh, cosmetics or makeup, their hair or anything else. They want to be an employee of yours. They want to be your next best friend. Any or all, of, or they want to read your book and, and, and any or all of the above. What's the best way to connect up to you, reach out to you and find out more? All right, so my website is www.mavispain.com. That's M-A-Y-V-I-S-P-A-Y-N-E.com. And also for my products, it's www.getloxed.com. I am on Instagram, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, Mavis Payne everywhere, M-A-Y-V-I-S-P-A-Y-N-E. Awesome. We'll definitely encourage everybody to reach out, find out or connect up, find out more because it's uh, definitely a wealth of uh, experience and a fun journey to hear. Well, as we wrap up the podcast, thanks again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, feel free to go to inventiveguest.com and apply to be on the show. Two more things as listeners. One, make sure to click subscribe in your podcast player so you know when all of our awesome episodes come out. And two, leave us a review so other people can find out about all of our awesome episodes. Last but not least, if you ever need help with patents, trademarks, or anything else, feel free to go to strategymeeting.com and grab some time to chat. So with that, we're going to jump right into uh, talking a little bit about uh, intellectual property. And so it's kind of fun to, to switch the tables and to hear your questions instead of or me just always asking the questions. So with that, I'll turn it over to you to ask uh, your number one intellectual property question. 
to me, David? Absolutely. If you have <laughs> if you have an intellectual property question, love to hear it. My intellectual property question would be: um, Is there ever a business that would not benefit from um, having intellectual property? You know, attorney. Or is that something that every business should have? That's my question. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a fair question. It's one where I freely admit you're asking an intellectual property attorney. Do you need intellectual property attorney? But no, I, I think that's a fair question. Um, the one, most of the time, I would say yes. There's, there's typically a reason in, in this need. And I'll give you a couple of reasons I can think of why you wouldn't need one. But, you know, if you're doing a, a brand, you're doing, you know, almost every business, if you're building it to any size, you're going to have a brand. If you're doing any sort of creative stuff, you're going to need a copyright. If you're doing any sort of products, you're going to you're going to want a patent. And you know, there's a couple of different reasons why you'd want them. One is it's an investment; it can capture that brand or that product or whatever you're making, so such so as tangible and asset of the business that's investable and has real value to it. Um, as well as it gives you a bit of protection, so that if other people were to copy it, rip it off, or ride your coattails, you have recourse. And, you know, and, and, and it also avoids issues down the road from people yes. you know, avoiding lawsuits. So I would say majority of people, it, they do fit into that box where there's typically a reason why you'd want to have intellectual property. Probably the one exception or one of the probably the only exception that comes to mind is a lot of times if you're a small kind of what I would say in mom and pop shop. In other words, you're serving the local community or just a, a small, you know, small store. Maybe you're on the corner, you know, you just help you know, help the local clientele. You're a rest restaurant or a grocery store or something. And you really don't have aspirations to grow. You're not going to be a franchise. You're not going to go nationwide. You just like serving a local community. I think that's great. I think there's definitely a place for it. Then there may not be as much because, you know, if you're thinking about that, uh, local mom and pops, they probably don't necessarily have a earth shattering or a new product or a new something they've invented. They don't necessarily have something that's copyrightable that they're worried about. And on the branding side, they're not going to necessarily, if you're all you're going to be, if you're going to stay in a local community, you don't, then local communities can know you. You don't need to protect your brand as long as you don't want to expand out of that, then you probably don't need the protection. So that's the one where every so often run into that. And I, I counsel people, hey, you probably don't need intellectual property because you don't have, it's not going to add any value. It's not going to give you any better coverage. So that's probably the one that I've ran into over every so often that doesn't make sense. At, beyond that is one that it does. The other one, I guess, I'll give you one other one is if your plan is to, I'm going to blitz the market, I'm going to do it for a year or two, I'm going to do it as quick as I can, make it, you know, make as much money and I'm going to be kind of a flash in the pan. I'll give you an example, you know, Snuggie, everybody knew Snuggie a few years ago and it was a great, you know, sold a ton of Snuggies, but in a matter of about a year or two, you know, a couple of years at most, they saturated the market. Nobody else, nobody's, nobody, you don't hear about Snuggies anymore, nobody's more buying any Snuggies because everybody that wanted a Snuggie bought one. And so their plan was, hey, we only got a couple of year window. We're going to run as fast as we can, get to sell as many as we can. And so it was such a short window that they probably wouldn't have needed the intellectual property, not because it wouldn't, if it would have been a, lo a longer road, they wouldn't have needed or wouldn't have benefited from it because, but because of such a short window. So those are kind of a couple of the reasons, a couple of businesses that wouldn't need a, or probably wouldn't need intellectual property. Oh my gosh, that was incredible. And the other question I had was what made you uh, want to go into uh, IP law? Yeah, 
I don't know if I want. No, I'm just kidding. I was gonna say I don't know. <laughs> I love going into until that was just a really a joke. But I, in in the reason a little bit of seriousness is I've always kind of had two passions. One is I love startups and entre- being an entrepreneur and doing small business, and I've done several of those, and I continue to be involved. I started my first business when I was in MBA school, doing my law degree and MBA degree at the same time. That one's grown into a now I think a nine figure business, and I still am or partially involved with it. Um, but that was so I always had that passion. And I always kind of liked the law. I thought it was kind of fun. You watch the shows, attorneys get to argue, you get a debate, which is not necessarily the, the reality of it. But, you know, it, and it just kind of was, I, and I'd also had an uncle that was a, an intellectual property attorney. I'd had an engineering degree as an undergraduate. And so kind of all of those, I said, oh, it kind of is fun that I can work with a lot of cool or businesses, cool startups, see a lot of what they're doing, get to be involved without having to do all of the inventing and all of that. And so I kind of was on both sides. I said, I'll do some of my own startups and small businesses here. I also get the opportunity to work with a lot of cool, uh, cool different companies and startups and small businesses on what they're doing. And it kind of naturally just went together. And that's kind of how I've taken my career. And, and that very much short of a nutshell, that's kind of how I got into intellectual property. Awesome. That's a great story. All right. Well, with that, we'll, uh, it was uh, fun to have you on. It's been a fun, it's been a pleasure. We'll go ahead and wrap up the episode. Um, but uh, appreciate you coming on, Mavis, and uh, wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thank you so very much for having me. I really had a great time. Absolutely. Absolutely.